I'm Maserati E. And I'm Chris Redlitz. Welcome to The Last Mile Radio. We're paving the road to success. No lie. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. Hey, paving the road to success. I'm paving the road. To Yo, E. Chris, what up, what up? Well, we're going to talk about one of your favorite subjects. Oh, what might that be? We're going to talk about post-release supervision and parole. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> my favorites. Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> so so for, for most people that come out of prison, especially those that were convicted of a violent crime, mm-hmm. they have to go through parole. I know this too well. So can you explain what that is? Okay. So— Parole, first off, what parole is supposed to be, should I say, I want to start there. What yes. parole is supposed to be, um, to my understanding, parole is supposed to be an agency where they help support you get acclimated back into society. So they're supposed to help you get employment. They're supposed to help you find housing. They're supposed to help you find programs if you need that. You know, They're supposed to help assist you. Sounds like a great, great opportunity, right? In, in theory. In okay. theory. But— in my opinion, what parole has developed into is another policing agency. Like, I, I think parole officers kind of put themselves in the same platform as, as Real Deal 5-0. Like, they think they're the police. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, they have power to actually take, you know, their parolees back to jail. So they can violate you if they feel fit to um, and all these kind of things. You know what I mean? So I think, um, you know, the power dynamics mess with people's head a lot. And I think it's a lot of people in positions of power that, in my opinion, aren't mentally fit for these positions. Um, Because a lot of times I hear stories and have experienced it myself where, again, it feels like another policing agency more so to keep you in check versus help you grow. You know what I mean? More so keep you contained and keep you in a box versus help you grow and thrive. And I feel like that's what parole was designed to do to help you grow and thrive. So what, what is the experience like? So you're on parole. How long were you on parole? I was on parole uh, two and a half years. It was supposed to be one and a half and ended up being about two and a half. Yeah. So what's required of you when you're on parole? Um, so for me, uh, I was on high risk parole uh, first and foremost because I committed a violent crime. Yeah. Um, and for my, my parole experience, it, it, it's kind of it's kind of a mix of the good and the bad. Right. Because I was an easy caseload. I don't get in trouble. I don't do anything to put myself in a situation to get a violation or anything like that. Um my last parole officer, me and her actually had a real good relationship to the point where I would assist like some of her younger caseloads and things like that, a mentor, you know what I mean? But um, for me, the, the parole experience, is, like I said, has been rather mixed. Like I've encountered parole officers again that just kind of wanted to just police me. They just wanted to tell me what to do <laughs> when it's like, bro, I'm supposed to be checking in to you. You know what I mean? I'm supposed to check in, let you know what I got going on, and then you're supposed to help assist me. And more so, they just wanted to tell me what I couldn't do. You can't go here. You can't go there. Let me know before you go here, this, that, and the other. Um, even, like, miss some some real big opportunities. You know what I mean? Like, when I first got out, um, I had the opportunity to walk the red carpet in Sacramento. And based on the procedures uh, of, of, like, how, how quickly I notified them, it wasn't within that time frame. So I ended up having to swallow that because I understood stand procedures and things like that but again this was could have been a major opportunity to help my career to network do a bunch of things and even had um the police chief of sacramento saying that he 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 um can get officers to monitor me if it's a case of security or anything like that and it was like nope like they didn't want anything to do with it shut it all the way down and i couldn't walk the red carpet um but say that to say
say for for the most part, my experience was just getting told what I couldn't do and um, getting told no, and I couldn't travel and all these kind of things, no matter what the event was. Right, because part of the stipulation is for most people on parole, you can't uh, travel more than 50 mile radius from where you reside. Right. And, and another thing about parole, which I find is, is, is rather funny, right, when you think about it, um, you have to go back into the county that you committed your crime. Right. And to me, that makes no sense. At all. Like, if, if this is obviously not the best environment for me, this environment led me to come to prison, why would I be trapped here and have to stay here? Especially if I have better opportunities elsewhere. Why limit me here? That that, that really didn't make sense to me. And um, I was fortunate enough to have employment and housing in San Francisco. I committed my crime in San Joaquin County. Um, so I was temporarily in, in, in San Francisco for a minute. And they ended up placing me on ankle monitor there because they said it was a privilege to be there because I was supposed to be in San Joaquin County. Hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like it's, it's those kind of arbitrary factors that come into play with parole that just kind of don't make sense when you think about parole is supposed to be assisting you. And they can kind of knock on your door whenever, right? Literally. Five o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. Whenever they feel fit, they could pop up unannounced and come search your home. Right. Definitely. Have you come pissing a cup? They don't care who there. It could be kids. They coming in, some of them with the guns out, all that. You know what I mean? Like, it, it could be it could be traumatic. Like, I've heard some real, like, traumatic stories with parole where they come kicking the door at 5 o'clock in the morning. Like, they like, bro, you're a parole officer. You're not the SWAT team. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're kicking in doors and doing all this stuff. Like, it's kids that live here, man. Like, I understand, like, somebody caused harm, you know what I mean, and, and are trying to get on track. But to now traumatize some kids with this experience, like— Especially when you're supposed to be assisting. Like, that's the that's the main thing I really want to focus on as well. You're supposed to be assisting me and helping me thrive and grow and get back acclimated. But now you're just further trauma. You're, you're further creating trauma for myself and now the people around me that have to endure this as well, which is completely unfair. You know what I mean? So, like, it's it's a trip. Yeah, I think that's part of what we, we talk a lot about uh, changing, you know, legacy uh, and also changing legislation. The idea of parole and, and you know, we, we talk about folks that have been in prison and we, we give them a label of returned citizen. Right. But you're not actually returned citizen because you don't have all the rights of a citizen being on parole. Disenfranchised. And also, it's really challenging because, you know, people who don't have transportation, for instance, mm-hmm. if you don't, if you potentially miss a court date or, you know, if you have a little minor infraction— that's a parole violation. You can go back and serve more time. It's a parole violation to be around somebody else on parole. Technically. Yes. Technically. You know what I mean? And and that to me is even conflictive, especially for people that have similar experience to me where you have to work with people in that space that have similar experiences. So it's a lot of like contradictive um it's it's a lot of like contradictive factors that come into like being a parolee and being on parole and I think that that's where the power of the parole officer really comes into play because they have a lot of discernment. They have a lot of discretion, you know, that they can utilize. And um, like I said, for me, it wasn't all bad. I think it was a balance of both. You know what I mean? So I I have experienced some good parole officers that actually care and take their job serious in the sense of, I just want to see what's best for you. Like, I want you to be able to contribute to society in in the best ways that you can make impact. Like, they want to see a better tomorrow. And I think that's the mind state that you must have to efficiently fulfill that job. 
Yeah, I mean, I've worked a lot with folks getting out for the last mile. And, and part of what you talked about is changing venues. Mm. So if you're uh, released to, you know, your previous community, which isn't necessarily the healthiest thing, mm -hmm. even if you have a job somewhere else, that's where they parole you too. And having a change of venue is really a pain in the ass. Right. Um, because they don't make it easy for you. It would seem natural to say, I've got housing, I've got employment, I should be able to go here, which is much safer for me. And also it's safer for the community. Right. You, I mean, you would think if you really want what's best, not only just for the person on parole, but like first and foremost, we got to think about another aspect of why why parole was created as well. It's similar to like going to the parole board. It's seeing if you're fit to be, uh, to see if you're fit for society in the sense of, are you going to be a threat to the community? You know, are you going to be a, a danger to the community? Um, so I think if you really want the best results, like, it, 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 it's not a one-size-fit-all cookie-cutter approach. Like, everything is really individually based. Yeah, that's so, right. So I think that's another aspect of it. And, and that was one of the beauties, again, of, like, the parole officers that I had that actually took their job serious in the sense of, like, wanting to assist people thrive. Like, they took everything individually. What do you need? What are you trying to do? What do you want to do? You know what I mean? What are your goals? Where are you, where are you at mentally? You know what I mean? Like, are you okay? Do you need therapy? Like, all these different factors. You know what I mean? It, it's all individual-based. So I think those are the type of things that must be taken into account if you really want to see it better tomorrow as a whole not even just for this individual because this individual can impact so many others around them obviously for the good or bad you know what I mean so it's like I think those are the type of things that must be taken into account um if you seriously want to see a better tomorrow. Yeah. Well, we're going to continue to talk about this subject. I think it's something that I know I'm personally invested in seeing change. For sure. And I think over time, we've had impact, obviously, through the last mile, changing things inside and, and creating opportunities for folks inside. There needs to be change on the outside because, you know, once you get there, you shouldn't have more friction, un unnecessary resistance. So you can be talking about that a lot more in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we could go on and on and on. We could break the mold into pieces. Stay tuned, because when we come back, it's going to get real. So stay tuned right here on the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. It's going down. And that's deep in rap, and I speak out of passion. No lie, please feel me. We all victims of that Willie Lynch letter, but if we come together so much better, we will be. I know I am so far from perfect, but I know I can speak for more than one person when Yes, we are back. We are back. You are tuned in to the Last Mile Radio right here on Sirius XM. It's going down. It's going down. Chris, we got our guests in the house like teeth in your mouth. It's getting real. We got Kareem Grimes in the building. Preach himself from All-American. It's going down. It's going down, man. Welcome to the Last Mile Radio. Hey, man. Thank you for having me. What an intro. Yeah, Absolutely. thanks. Thanks. And you didn't know this, but we are family. Oh, uh, yes. 
We have family. Yeah. Sway's part yep. of our family. Yep. family. You're part of Sway's family. Yes, indeed. It's all a big family. It is now. a big family, <laughs> absolutely. So this is a bit of a reunion here. Yes, it is. Even it though is. we're meeting for the first time, this is a reunion. Yeah, but you know, family, it's like if you don't talk to them for a while and you see each other, it's like, what's up, cousin? That's it. Right. That's it. Distant relatives. It's distant relatives. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, Definitely. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate and it. you've got such an interesting story we want to talk about because absolutely. you grew up in two different neighborhoods, which is... Yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. And then you got this trajectory into your acting career yeah. and playing someone who's formerly incarcerated, which is part of our mm-hmm. discussion mm-hmm. Uh, as well. So maybe just uh, start with the early, you know, Kareem story. Yeah. Like, you know, the neighborhood you grew up in mm-hmm. and this different high school thing that you yeah. experienced. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Kareem Grimes, born and raised in Inglewood, California, um, through and through 99th and Crenshaw. Anybody knows that's literally right in the area of the form where the Lakers played um, and the Kings. Um, grew up there, uh, moved to Lamert Park, the famous Lamert Park. Um, and in that area, um, you know, it was predominantly Crips. Rolling 40 Crips. Um, And I had some friends who were a part of that situation, but also two playing football. You know, I think anybody in L.A., if you're born and raised in Los Angeles, you play football, you're getting teammates from every walk of life, every neighborhood in the Los Angeles area. So, you know, I played with guys who were Crips, Bloods, the whole nine. And being able to play organized sports and having that camaraderie actually helped me because living in Los Angeles, you know, you may have a family or a friend in another neighborhood, but because I knew that person, I was, I was, I I got a pass. I was able to go into that neighborhood without a problem, but also to knowing being in the neighborhood that I was at, you know, the OGs, they, they saw and they saw me and what I was doing. So it was always like, you know, he's cool. He's not a part of this. Nobody messed with him, you know, and I never really had a desire, you know, to, to, to gangbang. I think if I did, I think it was maybe a 12 hour situation. (laughs) And I was just like, no, I can't do this. Beat up somebody I don't know for what? No, I couldn't do it. It's wild because you and I had a conversation. We could expand on this Eve about in prison. Yeah. It's very segregated, yeah. but in our classrooms, it's very integrated, integrated yeah. right? So you're, you know, you equated football yeah. as we do inside with education. Mm-hmm. There, You break the barriers there yeah. for that moment. It's yeah. a safe space, yeah. right? Absolutely. I think everybody, you know, when, when you're playing any organized sports in Los Angeles, you're going to get everybody from all different neighborhoods. But the common ground, the common thing that brings us all together is sports, you know, and from that point on, that's where you bring, that's where you build the brotherhood. Right. You know, and, you know, you, you, you tend to build that brother, brotherhood to where they know who you are as a person. Yep. And they know that, oh, he's not gangbanging. You know what I'm saying? I know because he's on my team. Right. You know what I mean? So those are those are things that, you know, help me just throughout my, my youth and, and, and coming up and then, you know, going into Lamar Park and, and then moving to Baldwin Hills, I was able to get bust. So I was, you know, I went to Paul Revere, which is in Brentwood. You know, I'm going to school with Will I Am and LMFAO, you know what I mean, and Ahmad back in the day. Um, and from Paul Revere, I uh, went to Palisades. 
You know, so I'm, you know, at lunchtime, I'm walking down to the beach, putting my feet in the sand. I was just going to ask, what kind of area is that? I'm from Oakland. I'm from okay. the area. Okay, yeah. Stockton being the second home for me, yeah. too, but Northern California. So I'm not familiar with the landscape. So I was yeah. just going to ask, like, what kind of what kind of area is that? What the neighborhood so was like? So Brentwood, like? Brentwood is definitely, you know, very wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a lot of celebrities. Uh, white. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's mm-hmm. definitely predominantly white. Um, and then, you know, going to Palisades that's by the beach that's PCH okay. you know along that PCH area those homes are a million plus yeah. hmm. you know um, and uh, I had one friend who actually lived over there brother this uh, my, 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 my main man um, you know which was which was a shock for me like oh well, black people stay over in Palisades right. you know what I mean um, but uh, yeah so from Palisades I played football and um, I moved to Baldwin Hills which is right down the street from Dorsey High School mm. now anybody from Los Angeles knows about Dorsey High School. We I ain't in, from LA. We were in Sports Illustrated. We were in Sports Illustrated. <laughs> we were in Sports Illustrated because we had a uh, young man that had uh, been to jail or a YA camp and came from YA camp to Dorsey High School to play football. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge thing back in the uh, in the nineties. And you know, the backside you have Crips, and the front side you have the jungles, the notorious jungles where they filmed Training Day. Right. So you know. I'm like, all my friends are going there, and I'm playing football at Palisades. I'm doing very well, not having the mindset of, oh, I'm going to go to the pros. But I was just really good. Um, And, you know, I I go to Dorsey, and it's definitely, you know, a switch. You know, Palisades, of course, it was definitely, you know, Latinos and, and Asians and Hispanics. Uh, I mean, Latinos, Asians, uh, and other cultures, but Dorsey was literally, it was black and Hispanic. Right. That's it. I think we had maybe one white kid in there, and we called him Jesus. Because wow. <laughs> he literally, yeah, his name was Jamie, God rest his soul, rest in peace, but oh, he was from the jungles. Okay. But he had long hair. He looked like the picture. Right, right, right. That everybody, <laughs> he had blue eyes, and then we just called him Jesus for some reason, but he played football, but he was the only white kid at that school and, um, you know, from that point on, it was just like, once again, playing organized sports yeah. as a young kid, seeing these guys, they knew who I was. They knew what I was about, you know, already. And I was acting, you know, oh, so once again, yeah, way back then. So that helped as well. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, from that point on, you know, there was a shooting, you mm. know, pretty much first day of school, <laughs> you know, like here, welcome to Dorsey High School. Right. But it was somebody that was off campus. It was nobody that went to the school. Everything happened off campus. So, you know, I was just like, is this the is this the is this the right choice that I'm making? Even though Dorsey High School was walking distance from my house. Hmm. You know what I mean? But it was just like, all right, well, you know, we're just going to buckle up and, and, and make it happen. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't change it. You know, I wouldn't change it. The the friends that I uh, made in in high school, I'm still friends with them to this day, you know. Um, And, you know, it's a part of who I am. Um, I don't shy away from it. I, you know, embrace it. I'm a proud Dorsey Don and, uh, you know, graduated and I end up going to Cal State L.A. and, uh, you know, finishing at Cal State L.A. But um, Dorsey Don, being a Dorsey Don and the people that I've come across in my neighborhood and Dorsey, you know, those were people that, you know, uh, that I was able to, you know, conjure up as far as in my acting. 
Hmm. You know, uh, so use them as, oh, as examples for character life. Yeah yeah, 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 life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you they they say you live life long enough. You right. you know you you learn things and you start as an artist. You take certain things, right? And you and you know you put them into your uh, into your craft. And you know my upbringing is uh, a little bit of everybody that I've come across uh, come across with, and and that's who preaches. That's deep, man. Right. Just to get back to high school for a moment. Yeah, though, absolutely. You were good at Palisades. Yes. Being good at Palisades doesn't mean being good at Dorsey. Because Dorsey about is yeah. about people live the mission of sports at Dorsey. Absolutely. People don't know Dorsey <laughs> yeah. around the country. Yeah. That, what happened there? Ah, I, uh, you know, riding high off of Palisades, I, you know, I go and try out for, uh, for uh, varsity. And there was a young man by the name of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Who played for UCLA football? I remember that. <laughs> not back. Not the cream. No, basketball, not the basketball. But, he, he, Kareem, oh, that's he, where my mind went. No, I'm like, wait, what? Kareem? His name was Sharman Shaw. Okay, okay. And he changed his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, okay, who okay. was a running back for UCLA and, and a very went, good, and one. very good one, and went on to play uh, college and uh, NFL. But that's he was right. the, he was the man. He right. was the guy. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I'm about to go up here. And then I was like, I was like nah, bro, what, what, what's going to happen is uh, you just going to ride this bitch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But think, and, of, but think about it. Actors, actors don't worry about their knees later on in life. Right, exactly. That part, that part. So I think for me, I think I got a, I got a dose real quick. Um, and of course, you know, my, my, my second year, I, I tried out for, uh, for football again, made it. But I think at that point, point things were really on an uptick in my career you know going back boys in the hood was my first project i was 13 years old my mom's friend at the time was in the business and they were like yeah there's this film and they're looking for young black males who can skateboard so it was just like voila yeah there you go (laughs) in walks kareem grimes so i'm able to you know get on set and we're like maybe a week or two into filming and John Singleton um, we're just all throwing the ball around and you know he was talking to us he came up to me and was like yo where you from what's your name and he was like yo I'm gonna give you a couple of lines you good with that and I was like absolutely <laughs> and that was really the the start of and the push that I needed um, to you know get my career started so you know God bless John Singleton um, who saw something in me? Because there were other kids right. in that scene. He could have given. He could have gave any one of those kids the lines, but he gave me the lines, and you know, I'm forever grateful. I somebody just hit me up and said that I'm in the Motion Picture Academy Museum. Wow. Congrats, my dude. Yeah, like Congrats. literally, because there's a scene in Boys in the Hood picture okay. of us, that's and I'm deep. in it, and I'm in the museum. I was like, oh man, that's that's it's a blessing, and and I'm humbled by it. And you, you were know? 13. I was 13 years old. So think about it. You didn't even. Yeah. Re- I mean, John Singleton was on the early early stages of his career. Yeah, he right. was fresh out of college, fresh out of USC. And you get mentored by someone who becomes, mm-hmm. in my mind, a Hall of Famer, right? Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, John Singleton was a big brother to me. Um, you know, uh, John definitely pushed school education heavy on me, um, which is why, you know, I to this day, you know, um, there were there were movies that John was shooting, higher learning, the whole nine, mm-hmm. and I would always go up on set and be like, John, put me in, put me in, come on, put me in. He was like, bruh, 
<laughs> you got to finish school first. See, that's uh, deep. That, you know that's, what I'm that's one thing that we talk about a lot is the importance of the OG. Yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely. That mentorship factor. Yeah. So that that's dope, man, to have an OG like John Singleton, yeah. like he said, to have the Hall of Famer. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So I, I'm curious to know, like, having that mentorship from him, like, how, how did that help prepare for for present day, now we talking about preach. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it it definitely helped a lot, man. I think it goes back to, you know, living. You know, mm. being able to go on to Cal State LA. Now I'm in college, college setting. I'm, I'm meeting everybody from all walks of life. Um, and as an artist, you know, for, for me... I, uh, you know, I'm visual, but also too, you know, I, I, I scope the room and, 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 and like take certain things and like, okay, all right, let me put that in the back of my mind. Let me put that in my pocket. Is that a tool that you picked up from, from John? Because uh, I know that kind of come natural growing think, up in the hood well, and all that type of Well, stuff, actually, you know? it's a little bit of both. It's mm-hmm. a little bit of growing up in the hood. It's a little bit of John Singleton. And I cannot, I would be remiss if I leave out Marla Gibbs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Marla Gibbs uh, had an acting class. Um, and that is really where I honed my skills. She's an OG too. Yeah, she's a she's a triple OG. <laughs> Marla Gibbs and Angela Gibbs. Marla Gibbs' daughter is the is the reason why the acting class and the acting school existed. Mm-hmm. And she just, you know, her her mom actually helped her. So there, you know, I'm being I'm being trained by Whitman Mayo, who played Grady on uh on uh what is that? Uh Sanford and Son. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You know what I'm saying? And Ed Cambridge, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So these are the shoulders that I stand on these Legend, are the people yeah. that you know trained me um, at an early age and I was able to just kind of take their tutelage and living life <laughs> and to be able to put that into the characters that I've played on television and film so All-American is a successful show you're going to yes. start season six yes for, I know it's yeah you know, it's been for, crazy the, those, the writers the writers have their deal we're right. just waiting on our deal so for those people who don't know about it yeah can you explain that and also you play a character preach who was formerly incarcerated yes sir and you talked about drawing on friendships and relationships mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how did you prepare for that because that's <clears throat> it has to be real yeah right yeah because because the the whole story takes place in the community yep. in South, South Central, Central right yes sir yes sir um all American. Uh, where do I start? Um, I've been on there for five seasons. I prepared for it. It, I I watched the show before I got on the show, um, because I went to Palisades, which was a predominantly white school and then transferred to Dorsey. So the, you know, as far as what all American is, it's pretty much the same thing but switched around. Hmm. He went to South Crenshaw first and then had the opportunity to go to Beverly Hills High School. You know what I mean? So hearing that story, I was already into it. I was right. just like, oh, this is this is me. Right, right. This is, I live this. Right. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I get the call and, uh, you know, I'm auditioning for Leah Daniels Butler, amazing casting director. And this character, he's only supposed to be there for maybe one or two episodes. And All American is literally based, it's it's a true story based on Spencer Paysinger. Oh, wow. Spencer Paysinger won a Super Bowl with the Giants. Okay. But this is his story. 
and is and he actually lives still in the area and he has businesses in the area. Hmm. Um, so it's like I said, the TV show is based on um, a, a true story about uh, Spencer Paysinger's life. Um, I get the call. Um, this this character, I'm just like, okay, I, I know people like this. You know what I mean? I, I know somebody like this. Um, so I was just able to just kind of go into it. You know, being born and raised in L.A. and living in the in, in living in the, the neighborhood, you you run across a few people. <laughs> and it's easy to be like, oh, I know who this is. Right. So I actually based it off of two people that um, that looked after me when I was when I was uh, younger. Hmm. Uh, my, my big bro, Jay and uh, my G. Um they lived, my G lived right down the street and Jay lived maybe like a couple of blocks over. So those two guys are who Preach is. So it, it's safe to say that you actually know people, uh, whether friends or family, that's mm -hmm. like justice involved, justice impacted. Absolutely. 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 Uh, and, and once again, like I said, I, I've had friends who have gone to, to, to jail. You know, and speaking with them and, and what that was like and right. just life choices, you know, uh, Preach is a, a very intelligent human being, you know, from the first episode, you know, he's, you know, quoting from the Roman uh, to to Coop. You know, so you know, this 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 guy is 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 well read. Right. You know, it's just with anything in life everybody has choices right you know and those choices can ultimately impact you going forward if you go left or right you know what right. i'm saying and you know for him he just made bad choices but you know there's a redemption um in this character there's layers to this character uh to where you know during the seasons we started to unpeel those those mm -hmm. layers of this character to see that, okay, he's smart. Um, he just made a couple of bad choices. Um, and he's loyal to a fault, you know, and he's a father. And he takes on that responsibility 110%, which you don't see a lot in television. Right. You know, so big, you know, big shout out and kudos to Nkeche uh, Okoro, who is the showrunner of All American, a black woman. You know, who has Salute. two black sons. Mm. So representation is everything. Definitely. You know, so uh so yeah, that that that's that's who Preach is. Preach is a little bit of everybody that he's come across in 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 growing up in Los Angeles, California, wrapped into this character. What's the reaction been? Because now <sighs> people see it mm. and it's authentic. Mm -hmm. What's the reaction been for those who are just involved and <clears throat> say you're you're playing it? And this is feels real. Ah, it, it has been uh it's been humbling, it's been a blessing. All walks of life, um, every nationality uh connect with this. Um uh, from from the street cats to the dads. Right. You know, to the soccer moms, to the young ladies. Like they really connect with this character because they know they're like, yo, I know this person. Mm. I, or I was this person. Right. You know what I mean? And for me as an artist, I think that is, you know, that's what you want to, the reaction that you want to have by putting the work in is to people for people to connect with that character 
and have some type of like, yo, I know this person. I, this is my brother. This is my cousin. Right. This is my father. You know what I mean? And, That's how I was able to connect. Yeah. Um, I, so fun fact, not so fun at all. In mm-hmm. actuality, I'm formerly incarcerated. I okay. spent literally nine years in prison from mm-hmm. the age of 17 to 26. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it actually, hearing you say that, man, just brought up a scene like when Preach gets arrested from yes. the schoolhouse and stuff like that. Yes. So I recall being arrested from school. Mm. You know what I mean? Like literally being arrested from school prior to... Um, doing that nine years yeah. but like seeing that scene it, it really brought me back to that moment you know yeah. what I mean because it felt so real yeah. and that makes me um, wonder you know like what, what came up for you because I know as an actor and it, it already didn't came out like mm-hmm. the empathy factor you ever yeah. put yourself in somebody else's shoes you know people that experienced this mm-hmm. so like was it ever any moments where it like felt too real and it was like damn like this what bro went through like oh my goodness like did you ever have any yeah I think <clears throat> there are moments where you know um when Preach gets arrested, you know, you see him really getting his life back on track. Mm-hmm. And um, it's that saying, no matter what, if you're in the streets, no matter how much you try to do right, there's still some karma, some things that will come back to bite you that you have to deal with that weren't dealt with earlier, mm. you know? So, um, you know, like I said, I've been around friends who I saw making a change in their life and two things happened. Either they, either they went to jail or they got killed. Mm. You know what I'm saying? When yeah. you're like, Oh, but he was just on the right track. And, and then, and that's just how it is, right, yeah. you know? So for me, it was very easy to put myself in those shoes, in those shoes, to know what that feels like to say, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm done with this lifestyle. I want to do, I want to do something else. I want to try something new that's going to take me here." And it's something about the streets that's always it, it'll it'll tap you on your shoulder and say, "Ah, ah, 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 ah." There's still time. there's still some things you you know you did some things and you know you you got to pay for that, you know. So I was I was. Uh, it was very easy to kind of put myself in, in, in those shoes, and especially I think I want to say it was season four where he had to tell his daughter Amina right. what he did. You know, that right there, to have to sit down and tell your daughter that you had to shoot your mother hmm. because of this situation, I I couldn't imagine. Hmm. That's heavy. I, that is heavy. Yeah. And that scene for me was very, very tough because not only, you know, telling this to my daughter, you know, but literally like the honest truth, you know, as I'm not a parent, I have a niece and a nephew, but I'm pretty sure it's really tough to actually have to tell your child something that you've done in your past that is going to affect them. Right. You know, and, um, you know, that that scene was was very powerful. Uh, Daniel Ezra, who plays Spencer on the show, directed that scene. Um, And, you know, uh, shout out to uh, to to the cast and crew, because they definitely helped me a lot. (laughs) Was that a one take? No, no, it was it was. I try to pride myself on that, though. I try to pride myself on that. But it was was going to say that's so emotional. It'd be hard to replicate. that. Yeah, I think we did. Maybe I think we probably did maybe three or four takes. Got it. 
Got that it. we did three. Well, was it any steps yeah. you had to take afterwards, like to kind of process <clears throat> that? Because again, that's so heavy. Mm-hmm. And I could only imagine, you know, the not not necessarily the tricks that are played, but just the thoughts that could come up. You know, the yeah. emotions that could come up. Was it anything you had to do to kind of process that? I think just you know having that having that 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 me time to right. really just kind of step away and say, okay, that's that's done. Let's let's move on. Um, but yeah, I definitely try whenever whenever there is an emotional scene, I try to step away, give myself some time, um, listen to a song or read something or call somebody to really kind of bring me back. Yeah, you know. So, but I th- it's very important because it can be very challenging mentally right you know some people don't snap out of that right i mean reflecting on like Heath ledger you know what i mean like you 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 really embody these roles Mm -hmm. like so like i I did shakespeare while i was incarcerated and that taught me um again like acting you you really gain a sense of empathy yes you know what i mean to an imaginable level you have to be open right yeah and you really got to become this person Mm -hmm. so you got to become you got to become this person to the point where you understand the way they think the Mm -hmm. way they feel the way they respond and Mm -hmm. and really embody that you know what i mean so i can see how difficult that could be one to lock into that but then to detach yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah he keeps saying that but i he hasn't recited hamlet once I had small roles. Right, right. That's why I, wasn't, I didn't have a leader. I'm role. not sure I believe it. I got all the leader roles. I remember I ain't have a dollar to my name. All these things I overcame. I didn't came a long way. Coming up next, more with actor Kareem Grimes, who plays Preach on the CW's All American. You're listening to The Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. To protect my peace, try not to stress our feet. Divine designer's purpose behind every breath I breathe. Who would have thought I'd be one of the greatest to do it? Been through some things I never get over, but somehow I get through it. Resilience manifested from brilliance, came from chasing the millions. Millions don't seem too real when you ain't never had nothing and everything you know is Drug dealers, thug niggas, prison pimps and hoes It's cold, but that fire desire for better days Burn like a blaze, and that drove me in a way To escape these mental plays, oh A lot of minds internalize limitations Due to our conditions, we be conditioned not to see our greatness How can you grow when you don't know your roots? Oppression disconnected, our identity Literally, we can do anything we put our minds This is The Last Mile Radio with Chris Redlitz and Maserati E on Sirius XM. Now, more with actor Kareem Grimes from the CW's All-American. So let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. I mean, we deal a lot with, you know, we teach uh, people inside mm-hmm. skills that mm-hmm. will get them employed. Yes. You have an extra veil of difficulty when you're formally incarcerated. Mm-hmm. You made a statement, I know, in a, a interview you did before where you didn't get every role you went after. Yeah. But if they keep calling, you know yeah. you're on the right track. Absolutely. Even if you don't get the your own part. Yeah. Yeah. There was a show, uh, The Shield, FX, and I auditioned for that show 17 times. Wow. 17 times. Now, the, the average the average actor probably after three or four times, five times, would be like, yo, I'm done. Like, if they call, don't even, you know, don't even submit me, you know. But I'll say in between those 17 times, I got booked, but for some reason they wrote the character out or they went a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, my, my my agent at that time, who's who's... I just signed back with him not too long ago, a few years ago, Kevin Turner. He said, listen, as long as they're calling you back, 
that's that's the prize right there. The moment that they stop calling you back, that's when you should be worried. Right. You know what I mean? And I didn't think of it that way. You know, because as an actor, you're like, man, I'm auditioning, I'm busting my butt, I'm going in here giving 110 percent. And sometimes it's not even about you. Right. It's not even about you. It's about, you know, a direction or a look or, or whatever it is. But when he said, hey, at least they're calling you back. Be happy about that. Yeah, I think that's true. And, yeah. and if you have the skills, the perseverance, the yeah. commitment, somebody at some point is going to yeah. recognize Yeah, you, right? it's, and it's about being consistent, Yep. you know, and, and truly believing and knowing that, listen, as long as I keep at this, it's going to happen. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next year. It may not happen this year. Yep. But keep on going. That's my career. Like, literally, I tell people it wasn't until 2017 is when I really started to see an uptick in my career. And I started this in 1988. Just do the math. Right. You know what I mean? But that's just being consistent. That's, you know, putting the work in, putting the 10,000 hours in, you know, and believing in myself and knowing that, hey, when the opportunity comes and presents itself, I'm going to be ready. You know, and the kid, the role preach was only supposed to be one to two episodes and he was done because if you know, he got shot, mm, right. but he survives. And here we are five seasons going into six seasons, just the sixth season of this show. So it just goes to show being prepared, uh, you know, going to work, loving what you do, being nice to people. Um, and, you know, I love what I do and it shows in my work. And you also give back. Yes, I love it. Come on, let's Absolutely. talk about it. Listen, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Listen, man, I mean, my mom. Not, my it's, mom. Not, <laughs> it's not something that you necessarily talk about a lot, but I know no. that you do a lot for the un, unhoused and the yeah. homeless community. Can Absolutely. you talk a little bit about that? Because that's <clears throat> so important. And you made a statement like, I'm lucky. I need to give back. Yeah. Pay uh, it forward. To, yeah, to absolutely. Something. Absolutely. My mom, you know, uh, she's amazing. She, I get it from her. I get it from my mom. I get it from my dad. Uh, my dad passed away, but he was a bus driver. He, the RTD, for those that don't know, is now the Metro. But he was a bus driver. If he met you and you didn't have a transfer, any money, he would literally tell you to get on the bus and take you. You know, uh, my mom would tell my mom told me she was like when I was younger, if I saw an old person at a light you know, crosswalk, I would literally walk up, hold their hand and walk them across the street. That's what's this is when I was young. My mom was telling me this. So, you know, it was uh, it was definitely, you know, putting me at a young age to where it was just like you're blessed and you have to be able to pay it forward and bless those. And um, got involved with an organization called My Friends House L.A. dot org. Tiffany Rose. And um, we literally serve every Wednesday in the heart of downtown Skid Row between 5th and 6th on San Pedro. And I've been doing it for at least 13, 14 years. Wow. And we've probably fed well over 10 plus thousand people. Wow, yeah, you serious about it? Yeah. Really about it for real. Yeah. Man, I got to give you flowers for that. Thank one you, thing, one thing we that. big on, man, on this show is giving people their flowers. Thank like, you. real talk. Because it, 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 it's a lot of things that go unnoticed and don't get the attention that it deserves. So mm-hmm. we definitely want to give you your Thank flowers. Thank you, brother. Like appreciate that. I appreciate that, man. I think, you know, we are put here for service. You know what I mean? Everybody has a gift. And once you find that gift, that gift can then take you wherever you want to go, but it also can provide you with things. And I think 
to be able to, you know, appreciate, we have to be able to give back. Definitely. And, I, I and feel, I'm a big proponent of that. I, and I agree 100% yeah. for sure, for sure. Yeah. I, I feel like everybody has a purpose and everybody's purpose is greater than themselves. Absolutely. It ain't even about them. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, we all get blessed with a gift. We get blessed with a talent. We get blessed with a goal. Yeah. We get blessed with a passion. But it ain't even about us. Yeah. It's really to serve others and to uplift or, or to impact mm-hmm. to some capacity. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But it's much bigger than us. Yeah, it is, man. And, and it's, it's something about giving, man, that just feeds my spirit and my soul. Like, no other. I think my first time I remember being invited downtown and I literally grabbed a whole bag of clothes that I just didn't wear. And it was just like shoes. And I went down there and I literally was like blown away. I was like, oh, yeah, this is where I need to be. Because to actually see people take the clothes and the shoes Put them on right then and there. Right. And gratitude is real. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. It was just like, yo, like, I'm here. Right. Like, this is where I need to be. Yeah. This is where I need to be. And, um, you know, I was just I was just so overwhelmed that I literally was posting on Facebook. And this is before Instagram. Right. You know, so I was just paced. I was just posting um, like, yo, come down. And, you know, now, you know, I have several friends that come down every Wednesday and they've told their friends and they've told their friends and, you know, it's just become a family thing. And yeah. We have a, a couple, uh, Molly and Kevin Kelly, who are mm-hmm. both graduates for last mile. Okay. And they live in, uh, in Hollywood mm-hmm. every Saturday, they formed a, their own nonprofit called basic ministry. Mm-hmm. They get a couple of these pull carts mm-hmm. and they, probably drop about 150 packages yeah. to people. And I was able to go with them mm-hmm. one time. And just to see yeah. the gratitude yeah. is just phenomenal. Yeah, it is. It is. It's nothing like giving back um, and 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 really blessing somebody. I always say it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be a blessing. Definitely. I it's, love, a it's a blessing, blessing to, to be, be a blessing. blessing. You know what I'm saying? That. We're blessed, so we have to be able to bless those you know, coming forward and just pay it forward. That's just, that's, I think that's just what life is. I, I feel, I'm very spiritual. So I think, and I feel that God has put you on this earth and to reward him, you have to be able to bless and pass that on to yeah. somebody else. Most definitely. Yeah. So you're LA native. Through and through. Let me ask you something completely tangent mm-hmm. because we have this conversation mm-hmm. all the time. Do you have a favorite football team? Yeah, I do. Okay. For your team, bro. San Francisco 49ers. Did not see that coming. <laughs> I did not see that coming. <laughs> I got to give you a five for that. And, and, oh, and, and, and look, and look. <laughs> I did not see that and coming. And look, and I go back. Is it because I, the Raiders left? No, 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 no. I go me. back to Roger Craig. That was my favorite running back. Okay. When I was playing organized sports football, Roger Craig was the guy. I had a, I had the W bar, the same <laughs> the same mass that Roger Craig had. I ran like Roger Craig, high knees. Um, you know, I go back to Roger Craig, Tom Rathman, uh, Lot Taylor Rice, uh, Montana. You know, I, I, I was with the them. With, listen, the legacy. <laughs> yeah. Clark, you know what I'm saying? Like, the legacy. So when people are like, oh, you ain't no San Francisco. I'm like, listen, For Roger real, Craig. They'd be, like, be, oh. yeah. they be like, oh, okay, you you really know. I start going down the list. Yeah. You know what I like, mean? Ain't, so, no ain't no bandwagon here. I, I'm so happy you say that because I grew up in L.A. Okay. Uh-huh. And I was a big Ram fan with mm-hmm. Roman Gabriel yes. way back in the yes. day. Yes, yes. And they left town. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Now we have two teams, and I can't root for either <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> and I listen, listen, and and being an LA native, let's listen, listen, listen. Not, I'm, I'm gonna keep it a buck. I, I like the Rams. You know what I'm saying? Um, because it's just it's it's LA. Yeah. You know what I mean? But. Uh, I definitely remember the Rams with Everett, Flipper Anderson. Yeah. You know what I mean? Flipper Anderson went to UCLA. Yeah. Eric Dickerson. Oh, yep. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, you really so, know it. You yeah, really know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I went to a couple of games, you know, but uh but through and through I'm a I'm a I'm a 49ers fan. I kinda I kinda was mad at them with the Colin Kaepernick situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? I kinda had, you know, I was a little salty. Definitely. You know what I'm saying, but uh, through and through, man, I've I've always been a, a 49ers a 49ers fan. <laughs> Raiders, ah man, here's Raiders. the things, man. Had Here here's the thing wait, about wait, Raider wait, fans. Wait. Had to do it. We we can't get deep in that. This is a whole nother show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they are diehard fans, and I always make jokes. I'm like, listen, the Raiders ain't been good since Rich Gannon. That's it. <laughs> Call for the battle. Or before. <laughs> we ain't went to exactly. Or before. Or before. Like, hey, yo, we ain't gonna do this, y'all. We not doing <laughs> no, no, no. this. We not doing this. <laughs> okay, we're gonna be. Bring it back real again. Mm-hmm. So greatly appreciate for you coming and Man, sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I yeah. appreciate it. We have one last, more serious question. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you've played this role and you're familiar with the challenges mm-hmm. of criminal justice, there are many things that can change. If there's one thing that's really apparent to you that has to be changed within criminal justice, mm-hmm. does one thing come to mind for you? Oh, man. Uh there's there's several things that come to mind. Um, I think it is dealing with it's it's a it's a it's a few things, but I'll give you two. I'll give you two. The situation that happened with Meek Mill, mm. as far as his um, probation his conditions. probation conditions. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know what I mean? I think was just ridiculous. Agreed. You know, yeah. um, and and also just reform meaning. What are we doing to put things in place for when they get out? Right. Let's just not house them and, you know, then kick them out and say, go, you know, go figure it out. Because what happens is you revert back to what you know. Without no resources. Without no resources. So I think we have to have things in place, resources for them to say, hey, listen, once you get out, this is where you can go. Right. And then also, two businesses to be a little lenient on as far as, hey, he, he yes, he has a record. But if you see his track record as far as him being incarcerated, getting his degree, getting this certificate, things of that nature, you got to show some you got to show some leniency and say, hey, listen, I'm willing to give you a try. Right. Sure. Respect the resume. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Respect the resume. Like literally, if you see somebody who has taken the steps to say, hey, listen, once I get out, I want to be a citizen and, you know, pay taxes like everybody else. This is what I've accomplished while I was locked up. All I need is the opportunity. Right. And I and I'm pretty sure all they need is an opportunity. Oh, most definitely. That's all it is. You know what I mean? Because I I, I know, like I said, I know a a few guys that went in smart as a whip, good with their hands, good with math, the whole nine. All they need is the opportunity. That's right. Because, you know, the commitment, we see it all the time. Yeah. Dedication, commitment, loyalty. And loyalty, loyalty, yes. It's huge. It's huge. You know what I mean? So it's, it's literally giving them the opportunity, just giving them a chance. Right. You know what I mean? And and I think once we can kind of clean those things up as far as the probation and really the resources, like true resources, yep. I think we'll find a lot more success stories 
coming out of uh, imprisonment. You heard it from Preach. Yeah. Preach, yes. preach <laughs> preaching it. about <laughs> job opportunities. Yes, fair absolutely. Chance hiring. Yeah, that fair is chance hiring is, is is really a must, man. And I think I think that's something that we have to work on. Yep. Definitely. Well, yeah. man, thank you so much for pulling up. So serious. I say yeah. it all the time, man. Presence is priceless. Absolutely. And and I really, really enjoyed this, bro. So thank you so much, man, for coming and blessing us with your presence, blessing us with your vulnerability, blessing us with your story, your honesty, and your insight, man. So serious. And again, dog, gotta give you your flowers, man. Oh, you done man, came a long way, bro. Thank Real you, talk. Bro. Thank so you, gotta man. give you your flowers, man. And in 13 plus years, bro, of really doing this community work, yeah. too, man. I I, I want to lift that up. You obviously said you don't talk about it like that, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But I'm so glad that we did, man, because that's the type of stuff I feel people need to know, man, yeah. and, and be inspired by, because yeah. you are a walking example of what to do. You Thank know what you. I mean? I mean, what can be. listen, man, It it there were people who, get, who gave to me, who inspired me, and I know what it feels like, and I just want to be able to pass that on and kind of replicate that feeling of what it did to me as a young man growing up in in, in Inglewood, California, yep. and South Central. So you know, it's it's you know, I, I just I just tell people, man, I'm just doing my part in this world. That's it. That's it. Family. That's it. Family, man. All right. Absolutely. I, I, listen, I had a good time, man. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Absolutely. And I look I look forward to coming back. Oh well, we'll definitely do it again. Yes. There it is. Absolutely. And you just heard us chopping it up with Kareem Grimes. But it's about that time, my dude. It's about that time. And as we do at this time, I got to give you your flowers. You already know I got to give you your flowers, man. You always show up and show out. Got to give you your flowers. I appreciate that very much. And back at you. And since we talk of flowers, you know I got to give you your flowers. You who tuned in with us. Again, presence is priceless. So thank you so much for tuning in with us and rocking with us. And we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear your voice. Speaking of the power of voices, we want to hear what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear us talk about. You tap in at thelastmileradio.org. And if you want to hear this show or any show, anytime, download the SiriusXM app. Do it. I'm Maserati E. And I'm Chris Redlitz. And this is The Last Mile Radio. On Sirius XM. No lie. I, I've been on a journey for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a journey for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I'm paving the road to success. Hey, I'm paving the road to the best. Wait, I'm paving the road to success. Hey, I'm paving the road to the best. Wait, no lie to the best way. To increase the success rate Defying odds against us even when it's unexpected Changing the world by changing the way we view the world It's 